This is a conversation with Dr. Perry Nicholson. This dude is super, super cool. I've been following Perry for many, many years. Jesus, back when I was at uni. So that's like nearly seven, fuck, 10 years now. I'm getting old. Uh, and he's just been a really, really cool influence on me through the way that he looks at things, the way that he teaches things. The reason why I've always followed Perry is because of his work within the lymphatic system and the nervous system. And the reason why I got him on, on the podcast today was specifically to talk about pain. So this podcast is going to be very, very beneficial for anybody who suffers chronic pain, suffers from chronic fatigue, uh, tiredness, low energy, or just feels that they're not crushing life the way that they should because Perry and I go very, very in-depth into a very simple system that we can use to make sure that we are always on top of our body. It's an absolute game changer. Now, before we get into this, I want to run you through a really, really simple hack that I took away from this, uh, something which we can all use very, very effectively. And this is based around breathing and breath work. As you all know, I'm very, very big on breathing and breath. And after talking with Perry, it kind of made me think on a couple of things that we can do even better. And so I want to run you through a very, very simple system, very simple, easy thing that you can do every single day to improve your breath, to improve your nervous system, and to make it so that you'll feel less pain and have much, much more energy. It's just this, simple as this. Tape your mouth. We breathe through our mouth far, far too much. Whenever we breathe through our mouth, it actually slightly activates our sympathetic nervous system via a couple of different you know, mechanisms. What we want to do is we want to shift this and we want to breathe in through our nose. If we can optimize how much we breathe through our nose, we'll become much, much more calm. Simply just by taping up our mouth, shutting our mouth and breathing through our nose, we'll, be get, we'll get a massive reduction in how the nervous system works. We'll get a massive, in terms of like massive reduction of the sympathetic nervous system, we'll be far more calm. We'll be getting a much, much uh, better response within the body and have a whole heap of massive downstream effects, right? Particularly around when it comes to pain, when it comes to digestion, when it comes to your hormones and whatnot. So this is all I want you to do. Tape your mouth. Okay, tape your mouth up, just get a little bit of sticky tape and tape it whenever you don't need to talk because this will train you to breathe through your nose, which will be much, much better for you. I hope this helps. Enjoy the interview. It's going to be an absolute game changer for you. And we are live. Thank you for coming on, Dr. Perry Nicholson. Thank you for having me on. It's great to be here, my friend. So as I was saying to you just before uh, we, we turned on the recording, um, I was having a really hard time narrowing down like what I wanted to talk with you about because you've done a lot of stuff over the years. You've been around for a year or two now. But where I wanted to start and, and begin this was your path because you were very similar to me in a couple of ways in that the reason why you became an expert in this field within the nervous system, within that lymphatic system is because you had your own issues. Could you please tell us where it all began for you? Oh, yeah. Well, it's been a long journey for sure, man. I turned 55 years old um, on Halloween, October 31st, and uh, I've been in healthcare, geez, probably for you know more than half of that now. I can't believe it's been that long. So my journey actually into healthcare was you know, starting to be a, a chiropractor, which is just some of the stuff that I do now. I do a lot of different... It's hard to put me in a box, honestly. Um, and I got into that because I had a lot of lower back injuries from really being into bodybuilding and competitive bodybuilding when I was younger. This is in the uh, mid eighties to late eighties and that the golden years. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I got hurt numerous times and just kept pushing through it. And I had my training partner at the time said, you should go check out the chiropractor. And I go, Cairo, what? <laughs> I know. I don't know. 
thought about it and I got on the table and I got up and I was able to walk again. And I was like, okay, this is really cool stuff. Then, so what did you do uh, that, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah. Say that again. What did you do? How, how did you injure yourself? Uh, well, you know, doing a lot of stuff, probably the way that I shouldn't have done it and just keep pushing myself through it. I mean, you, you got to remember too, uh, training and weightlifting and the fitness industry, the way it is now, nowhere near like that in the eighties. I mean, you just went in and just picked up stuff and started going and you just move stuff any way you can. And if you got hurt, you push yourself through it. I mean, people still do that today, but it's a, it's a lot different. And I heard it squatting, you know, I went down one time, I heard a click and I was like, okay. Mm. And then I just kept pushing through. And then later that day I could barely move. And then I just went to sleep and, you know, I had a couple of days sleeping on the ground and it went away and I'm like, okay, all's good. No problem. Not so much. Then you go back and you do the same thing again without reevaluating why you did what you did. And then it just happened again. And this, every time it happens, it just takes a little bit longer to come back. Cause when you're that age, I mean, you can kind of bounce back from anything almost. And one time it didn't go away. It started to go down the leg. I'm like, okay, this is much, much scarier for me. And then I went to them and they put me on the table and I, boom, you know, within two visits, I was back again and it became a regular part of my life. And at the time I didn't think about becoming one. It only happened years later when I was having some kind of crisis about where, what I really wanted to do in my life. And then I got me into healthcare, but I quickly realized that there was more to what I was looking for than just chiropractic. I mean, I still love it. It's a, it's a small piece, honestly, of what I do right now, but that led me into just learning to study anything and everything in relationship to health and the human body, and then going down different avenues of looking at movement, looking at pain, and then chronic disease, and then really being fascinated with you know, why in the hell people uh, can't get better, even though we have all these wonderful things that we can do to them, but they're not getting better and we're getting sicker. Something is, is not going in the right direction. And that's why I study from anybody and anyone and every discipline I can possibly think of to help me along that journey. And that brought me to where I am right now. And that's what I love to share with other people. So why pain? Well, because everybody's got it, right? I mean, that's a part of life. And, you know, pain pain isn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, you need it because that's the way you learn what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And pain tells you one message. You need to change something quick, fast, and in a hurry. You might not know what it is, but it's just a signal that something needs to alter. And very rarely do we change our lives when we're really, really comfortable. Because why would you? You're comfortable. So pain comes along as a signal to change something. But it's all it's protective is what it is. It's it's try, trying to prevent you from getting hurt more, honestly, because it can always be worse. Hmm. And, um, and then I just wanted to figure out that uh the pain puzzle, you might call it, which has come a long way in the last probably five years, more than it's ever in the history of studying pain, because we're able to see things now through technology and look at the brain in different ways that we could never look at it before. And our initial concept of pain was you know, completely wrong, which a lot of stuff that we think we know right now that's right. Um, 
is probably going to turn out to be completely freaking wrong too. But, you know, you have to go with what you've got, with where you are in the moment that you're in. And science is about, or it should be about, let me clarify that. Should be, yes. Should be about curiosity and exploration, not dogma and trust and don't ask questions. You're going to well, go and if we Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but like if we could just segue onto that for a second. I wasn't intending on going this way. Why do you feel that science has gone from ask questions about everything to trust me? I'll never lie to you. That's a really good question. I ask myself that every single day. I think some of it has to do with one of the underlying fears of human nature is uncertainty, not knowing, lack of control. So, you know, it's some people follow along into what uh, that because they they want some form of certainty in their life, whether it's right or wrong. They just want something to hold on to like a life preserver because it's way scarier going into the unknown. Um, But I'll be honest with you. Science has kind of been like that all along. If you look back at the history of science and medicine, there's always been somebody who's been ostracized or vilified for questioning the norm. I mean, goodness gracious, man. I mean, the person who hypothesized that the the uh, earth and the sun were evolved differently and that, holy cow, maybe this thing is round and not flat. <laughs> they weren't really accepted with open arms either. And there's a lot of people, even the people that proposed the germ theory were said that you're out of your freaking mind and you're a quack and they were vilified. And, you know, now we're just like, what, really? So it happens all the time when you um, try to challenge an establishment when you go through history. I think it's a human condition, honestly, um, for that. It's a, it can be a power grab for sure. Why it happens is a it's a huge thing for me studying neuroscience and why people do what they do, even though it seems nuts when they do it. Mm-hmm. It's that need for safety and the need for survival and the need to follow along with the crowd as opposed to standing out. Because if you stand out in nature away from the pack, you die faster. You follow? Like, mm-hmm. so it's in your best interest to follow along with what other people do, whether you believe it or not, because if you stick out, you're dead. And that's really innate and built in. And a lot of it's self-protection, self-preservation. And when you look around and you see what happens to anybody who challenges something and you're like, I don't want that to happen to me, so I'm not going to say anything. And people can depend on that, you know, and then that's what they look for. Well, so but then also, I guess we should always ask the question then, if it is actually worse off for us to go and challenge the the, the narrative and to go against that where life might be even uh, what might be difficult, why would we do that? Why is it that some of us, or why do you believe that? Because I know you challenge the narrative in a lot of things. Why do you do that when it actually ends up being not as beneficial for you? You could probably get ahead going forwards with the bullshit. Yeah. I think it's just built into the person, you know, into the to the DNA. I've never been one to follow along with the pack and con- tradition and conformity. I've always been somebody who wants to ask questions and explore and say, you know, why the hell not? Or because I, I'm the person, if you tell me to go left, I'm going to go right just to spite you. And that's the way I've always been. But that's one of the reasons why I've been able to find answers to my own issues, I think. And, and, and the same, same thing for other people 
And uh, it's always going to be that way. You're going to have some that are going to be at the forefront and then others won't. But it's a hard line to break because it's built into our structure to to survive and and conform. And a lot of it, too, is just knowing that you might have somebody there that's in your tribe, that's in your community that has your back, right? Mm. When you when you when you want to go into something and you want to challenge something. But here's the thing. Suffering has suffering when it reaches the depths of enough suffering, you can build up a lot of strength that way. Because then you've got a choice at that point. You gotta rescue yourself or you're gonna lay down and give up. Did and, you ever have a point of like really in-depth suffering where you had to make that choice? Oh, multiple times. But the biggest one was probably about five to six years ago now, where I hit rock bottom. I had a physical and emotional breakdown from an illness that still had no explanation from the medical side of what it was. I just know that pretty much all my body systems went crazy and haywire, what they might call an autoimmune disease, which means they have no freaking idea why it happened to you. That's what that means. And I was just having lots of issues. And if you had a place in my body that could get an infection, it did. My immune system went crazy. And my, Did you give me I an lost, example of that? Like what you're getting infections? Yeah. Well, I was getting sinus infections, urinary tract infections, lung infections, prostate infections, got infections everywhere in the tissue because my, my immune system was going haywire, maladapted to, to things. And, you know, there's multiple things going on that ended up figuring it out because I tell people this all the time. You're allowed to have more than one problem. And there's not one singular cause for anything anymore. There's multiple things that go into it, especially if it's chronic disease and autoimmune. That's one of the reasons why we struggle to to try to find the answer because we're looking for a one shot, one kill type thing like we used to do of, you know, mm. one bacteria or one thing that you can take out and then you're good. Well, that's kind of fantasy land. That doesn't happen anymore. And um, I had brain fog, brain fatigue. I lost the ability to honestly function. I had to stop practicing, stop teaching. I was sleeping for 18 hours a day and not feeling rested. And I just gave up, honestly. And I was at rock bottom where I contemplated suicide, made a call to a suicide hotline. And then that's the moment, that's the defining moment when I realized that, okay, you're going to have to rescue yourself because nobody else is finding the answer. And you're not going to find it from your current mode of looking at things. And that's when I started to get into a lot of the other things that I began to investigate outside the traditional. That's thing. a significant moment because you had the, the choice of, okay, you can either end it all right now and end the suffering, or you could go around, you could put in the monumental effort to get better. Why did you choose not to go ahead with suicide? And why did you choose to get better? I'll tell you the story. I was out teaching um, and it was really hard for me to teach that day I was struggling. I would have to take multiple breaks. And I was very emotional too. When you have that much inflammation in the body, you you have mood swings a lot. You can get angry a lot, but you can also go into a pretty depressive state. They call it the like the freeze response, the withdrawal response. And that's also a self-protective mechanism that happens to to pull yourself away from the world. And I was driving home and I was thinking to myself, you know, multiple times, it'd be really easy for me to just turn this wheel one way and then 
go into something or flip it. And I kept thinking about that. And that's when I made a call when I was driving home to the suicide hotline and spoke to them. And then I hung up with them because they, they made me feel better, but they're obligated at that point to report a call to the authorities if they feel you're going to be a danger to yourself. And so they did that unbeknownst to me until I got home and I was home for about 10 minutes. And then two police cruisers pulled into my driveway and knocked on my door. And then that's when my family, my wife and my two children realized why they were there. And that's a moment that focuses it back where, okay, this is not just about you. And then I had, and plus it was part of them not knowing I was to that place, right? And I thought to myself, how many people are at that point in their life and they go through with it? They didn't have anybody there for them. And that's when I said, okay, that's my bottom. And now it's time to go and go down what some people might call the crazy path. That's thinking completely differently than I have been thinking. And that was the catalyst. That was the moment for me. And and how did you change your thinking? Well, I stopped thinking the way I was thinking. First of all, I, I got the energy to know, okay, well, I'm not going to give up. So that already changes your focus, right? I mean, that, that decision. Okay. I'm I'm going to, I'm going to, it's not easy. It was not, it was difficult, but I'm going to pull myself out of the quicksand as opposed to just letting it take me under. Mm. And then I began to, at that point, think completely different. I started to say, okay, well, if I'm not getting better, why in the hell am I not getting better? What does the body need in order to get better? And I, I, I just wanted to go back to simple. And I'm like, okay, well, chronic disease occurs when you lose the ability to make new cells that work, right? So that's, that's what I said. And because if you can make new cells that work, you wouldn't stay sick. You follow? So then what the hell does a cell need to get better? Well, it needs energy. And okay, well, what does it need for energy? Well, it needs nutrients. So your fundamental building blocks of nutrients to go into the cells of the body. And uh, so I looked at that side, but I, I was honestly doing a lot of that anyway, you know, putting a lot of stuff in, but then I thought, okay, well, when cells, when, when you give the, the nutrients and it makes the energy, well, what happens after that? Well, anytime that you make energy, you also create byproducts waste products, right? It's, that's the metabolic process. When you burn energy for anything, you make waste. Mm. And then your body's got to get rid of that waste, right? Because if you can't get rid of the waste, where's I thought myself, if you can't get rid of the waste, where the hell is it going to stay? Well, it's going to stay inside of you and that's not going to feel too good mm. because you're, you're living in your own metabolic cellular waste. And then, so you're in a toxic environment inside of your body. And that was the revelation. Holy crap. That's the part that I was missing where I was focusing on the supply side as opposed to the waste management side. 
And that's what inflammation is. Inflammation has a primary role to play. A lot of them, actually, because you need inflammation. Inflammation is not bad, but incessant inflammation that doesn't stop is bad, like stress. So inflammation is pro-inflammatory. That's pro-inflammation because this job is to come in then and kill stuff that's trying to take you out, cause inflammation so we can bring immune cells to an area to kill stuff and, and heal and repair. So it's got to be pro-inflammatory to protect you and also immobilize you so you don't move, so you stop and you can heal. But it also has a repair and waste removal role. <laughs> And that's the part I was, I was not focusing on the waste removal phase. Should we need to focus on waste removal? Like, yes. should the body not do it itself automatically? Well, we you need would to care think for so. It? You would hope so. But I'm going to tell you this much. In the modern world that we're living in, with the stress level that we're under and the toxins that we're under, mental and physical, chemical, emotional, all of that, it's too overburdened and it can't. And plus, most people don't do anything on purpose to take care of it. It's like your teeth. I mean, your teeth should be great too, but if you don't brush them every day, they're going to fall out of your damn mouth. And it's the same thing with the other waste management system of your body. You should do something intentionally to help it function as best it can, because it should be able to do that. Operative word is should. But sometimes it can go get so overloaded and overburdened and people say, how does that happen? Well, it's this thing called L-I-F-E. It's called life. That's just going to happen. All right. And some people can have a better tolerance for it than others. It's your ability to compensate and adapt. It's different for everyone. And then you need to help it. And there's many different ways, systems that help get rid of waste, but there's also a way that you need to do it but it's highly individual. I can't give everybody the same magical waste removal program because not everybody got to this, the place that they're at the same way, even though they have the same diagnosis. What I mean by that is this, is that I can have five people with the same diagnosis. They didn't get it the same way. Mm. So you can't treat it the same way at all. It has to be very different or the order in which you do things has to be very different. What I mean by that is that they may need the same five things, but in patient A, I can do one, two, three, four, five. But in patient B, if I do that, they get worse. That means I have to do five, four, three, two, one. I have to do it in a different order for that person. And the only way you know that is to be dealing with the individual that you're speaking with. But also, too, the longer you struggle to get rid of waste, that means that you struggle to get rid of waste. So it's hard for you to get rid of it. So you can't do a lot of things to try to help people get rid of waste too fast because you overload a system that can't tolerate it. So what and is the which which systems works. are you referring to when you're saying the waste management systems? Which which systems within the body are you referring to? Here's the cool thing. Most of your body is designed to eliminate waste. Most of your organs are there to eliminate waste. One's your skin. So the skin does a lot of stuff, but it's a primary detoxification organ in your body. And that's why a lot of people have skin issues because the skin mm. takes the brunt of your detox when the other detox organs struggle to work well. Like what? Your lungs. Your lungs are a big one. Every time that you breathe out, you exhale a lot of toxins. And toxins get stuck in your lungs a lot by from you inhaling, right? So a lot of people have uh, lung issues, uh, which I'll get into in a, in a moment when you keep going downstream. Another one is your colon. That's why you go to the bathroom. 
right? You poop it out. Then you also urinate. So your kidneys are a detox organ. Your bladder is a detox organ. Your liver is a, it's a detox organ. It's a massive detoxification organ. It does over 500 different things. And I always come to people to say, how do you, how, you know, you have a liver problem? Well, that's easy because you're breathing. So I know everybody has got a liver that needs some help. It just depends on how much it needs help because it's getting massacred and nobody ever pays attention to it until something goes wrong. What is massacring our liver? Uh, It's the same thing. Life, the the food that we, if you don't want to call it that, the food that people eat, because everything that you put in your mouth gets processed and has to go through the liver. Your liver has to detoxify everything. So every mm. pill, every medication, every supplement, everything has to get processed through there and your alcohol and your drugs and all those sorts of things. Uh, so it's the environment, everything coming at the liver. So and how do we measure the liver? And- stuff it's not supposed to. I mean, the liver is, is dealing with so many toxins that the human body doesn't even know it's being hit with by the modern world that we're living in. So how, do, how does how does it show up within? How do we measure that? For example, like you know, I'm always a big fan of traditional blood. So in bodybuilding, that was my background a few years ago, and we always looked at ALT, AST. They're the two big ones, right? And if they come in well, then you're looking pretty good within your liver. Everything's sweet, but obviously there's more to that. So how do we actually measure the liver? Yeah, so it's actually really funny that you asked that because I just posted on Instagram about that, where most people look at your liver and say, as long as you're Enzyme, liver enzymes are okay. Your liver is okay. And my viewpoint, hogwash. Don't believe that at all because, you know, first of all, blood work changes in a split second based on many different things. And you have to be in a pretty nasty place health wise for something to show up in your blood work because your body's going to do anything and everything it can to normalize your blood. So if it shows up in your blood, you're a hot mess. And the liver takes a huge hit before it starts to show enzymes begin to change. That's a massively sick liver. Okay. But I have people that they get blood work and everything turns up okay. And they're, they're miserable. They have inflammation, they have pain, they have depression. And it's like, we can't find anything. Well, I'm like, just cause you can't find it doesn't mean it's not there. Cause you're not looking the right way. So I put them down on my table. And first of all, I talk to them and I ask them about symptoms you know, I look at different things. I look at the skin. I look at their eyes. I look in their mouth. I smell them to see if they smell. If you have a poor liver, you're going to stink. Hmm. Right. And then also I, I go by your bowel habits, you know, and I, I talk about everything in your, your life and, and what it's like, because your other symptoms, your other systems are going to have to take over some of the burden when the liver is there. And then, uh, so I'm going to lie you down on my table and then I'm going to take these two things called hands and I'm going to put them on you. And then I'm going to feel the tissue around. So the liver sits on the right side of your rib cage and it's massive. And it goes all the way over to the left side of your rib cage. And I'm going to place my hand there and I'm going to watch your reaction overall, just to my touch. I'm going to feel the temperature around your liver. I can see if you're getting anxiety or if your nervous system starting to get nervous when I'm there, then I'm going to go in a little bit deeper and I'm going to feel underneath that right rib cage. And I'm going to feel for the liver. Is it enlarged? Is it hardened? Is it soft? Is it pliable? Are you wincing in pain or discomfort or are you guarding 
with me going in there. If that happens, I know one thing. You got a liver that needs help. So you said something super interesting just there. It's like when you put your hand on the liver from the back, you can feel whether someone starts getting anxious or antsy or whatnot. How does that occur? Do you understand? Do you know the mechanism for why that happens? Yeah, a lot of it is subconscious. You don't even know that you're doing it. So some of it's conscious, right? You, you have to learn to be very observant when you get into the, the manual part of the uh, medical field. And we're, we're all designed to be very observant as human beings because we need to look at someone's face or body language to see if they're welcoming or if they're threatening. It's actually built into you. We just don't pay attention to it because we're looking into a damn phone all the time. We don't have this uh, connection anymore. So you can read and see when somebody's visibly starting to get uncomfortable. Now, I may not know and say, okay, well, I put my hand on the liver. There could be a lot of different reasons why somebody might be uncomfortable. But my whole point is you're not supposed to be uncomfortable. So I'm going to look and say there's something there that the nervous system is telling me there's a vulnerability in that area for something for something. And I'll go by your facial expressions. First of all, people may stop breathing. They'll over breathe. Their eyes will start to blink faster. That's the first sign of a threat response. That's somebody who's going very emotional panic mode is when you see increased blinking. Or they'll look away in different directions. They may have eyes open, then they'll go closed, or it may go closed and then go open. I'm looking for a change. Then I'm going to look for other body parts that start moving that you don't know that you're moving, that I'm touching. <laughs> that's, a, that's a response of the nervous system to try to, to deal with something. And then I'm going to slowly go in a little bit more with my pressure and, and watch for the withdrawal response. So that's what's called a, it's a subconscious, what they call no, um, it's called neuroception. Neuroception is the subconscious aspect of the brain constantly looking for threat to the body from outside and inside. And it's subconscious. It's always running in the background. So you don't die. Mm. Right. And most of your behavior is subconscious. About 10% of your, your, your movement and your orientation in the world is voluntary. All the rest is being driven in the matrix subconsciously. So that's what I want to pay attention to. The, what your brain does from a subconscious level is far more telling for where I need to go than what you tell me consciously. So I look for that response and then I go in a little deeper and then I investigate and then I tie that together with the symptoms that you have and your presentation that you have. And then I go by, okay, you've got an issue in here. We need to start to work with it. And one of the first things that we do is start to get more movement and motion in the liver itself. Because right? here's the thing. Every time you take a breath in and out, you're supposed to move your diaphragm, which is the muscle at the bottom of your rib cage that separates your torso from your abdomen. And the main reason you have a diaphragm is it can increase pressure in your abdomen and move organs. That's one of its primary job is to move organs. People are under so much stress these days. They don't, they don't breathe. They breathe through their mouth, which means they don't breathe through the diaphragm. They don't move the diaphragm. And then the organs stay stagnant. And it's really hard to tell somebody to breathe through the diaphragm. Even they're going to struggle to do that if they have inflammation in those organs below it, especially if you've got an inflamed gut. And like everybody's got a gut 
that's massacred because of the stress level that we have, the crap food that we're eating, and then the the gut gets broken. It gets leaky gut or malabsorption syndrome, and then you leak food particles into the body, and then guess what's there to attack it? Mr. Immune System. And then what goes from your gut is supposed to go to your liver, but your liver is like, dude, I'm already, I'm already dealing with a lot here. What do you want me to do? Right. So then you become inflamed and you get inflammation from your own toxicity is what happens. So what are the toxic things which are causing the gut to get inflamed? Same thing that causes everything else to get inflamed. I already told them to you. L-I-F-E. Yeah. L-I-F-E. Stress is a big one. Mm -hmm. So whenever you get stress, you increase uh, stress hormones that are not bad. You're supposed to have them, but not incessantly. So one of the biggest ones you increase is cortisol, AKA the stress hormone, but it does a lot more than that. And when you become very catabolic, which means you start to break down tissue, degrade tissue and the body wants protein when it gets catabolic. So it starts to eat away at your muscles and your connective tissue. It goes after collagen. One of the biggest places you have collagen is in your gut. So you start to eat away your own gut lining from incessant stress. And then that's when you get leaky gut syndrome and breaks through. And then plus, if you go and you look at the the glyphosates and especially in the United States here Mm. and the pesticides and the sprays and sugar and LPSs, lipopolysaccharides, gram negative bacteria, the waste products that get released from that. And it, it just goes in and then everything breaks through and then your whole system, you're swimming in toxicity and the primary system that's supposed to get rid of inflammation is one of the other systems that we didn't mention yet. And that's the lymphatic system. So when stuff breaks through the gut, the lymphatic system is the first system there to greet it because it's, it's designed, lymphatic system is designed to do one thing, like kill viruses, bacteria, parasites, fungus, cancer cells, all bad stuff that gets inside you that's not supposed to be there. And it's the sentinel for your immune system. So everything goes in through the lymphatic system and your immune system scans it like a scanner to know what's here and what kind of immune cells I need to release to kill stuff. Right? But it gets overloaded. It gets overburdened because it can't keep up with the waste. And we cycle back to the liver. The liver contributes up to 50% of the entire lymphatic system to the body. If the liver is overburdened, you've actually hit your lymphatic system as well. So the lymphatic system is a primary part of your immune system. It's also a primary part of your cardiovascular system, which is your blood flow, veins and arteries. So when your liver gets blocked and your lymph gets blocked, your vein flow gets blocked. And when veins get blocked, They carry up to 80% of total blood volume at one time. So you get stagnant veins, stagnant waste. And then that's when you get pooling, you get swelling, inflammation, edema, toxicity, sickness, and round and round and round and round you go. I don't care how many damn supplements you put in your mouth. If you don't clear that system out first from all the blockages, you're only going to get so far. How do I know that? Because that was me. And I see it a lot. The thing that frustrates me is this. There's people that are like, you know, don't take a lot of the medications or drugs because they're toxic. I got news for you. Supplements can be that way too. So you can overload your body even with supplements, even with good things. And here's what people need to understand. They're like, yeah, but I only eat good stuff. (laughs) I'm like, 
Okay, great. That's better than bad stuff. But I want you to think about this. What happens when your body uses the good stuff? You make waste. It's still got to get out, right? Waste is waste. And if you're backed up and stagnant, it's the same thing that you're, that you're going through. So it's that vicious cycle that has to happen. And that's when I go and I look at, you know, the buzzword these days is detoxification. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but, you know, there's many different ways to do that. But one of the biggest reasons that it doesn't work is because people do too much, too fast, too soon on a detox, on a system that can't handle it. And then you, when you push really hard on a system that can't handle it, it's going to do two things. It's either going to shut down or it's going to push back harder and make your life miserable. Okay. Well, so we've been living this way for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. How do we start to detoxify or to alleviate this system, which is so overburdened with stress? That's a great question. First, first part is awareness that you need to, right? Because you can't change with a capital Y-O-U. You can't change something until you become aware of it. I mean, stuff changes all the time, but if you want to change it, you got to become aware of it. It's one to know, okay, that I need to look at detoxification on my system. One of the first things you can do is one, stop by not putting as many toxins into your system. So just start to cut back on that, right? And Here's the thing. I mean, everything can be a toxin, right? But you got to start somewhere. The first one is, you know, one of the best pieces of advice they ever got for nutrition is stop eating like a five-year-old. You're on a good start, right? Like you already know what you're not supposed to eat. Just don't eat crap. And you're you're 90% ahead of the game, right? So you start there. And then some, sometimes it's not so much what you start doing, but what you stop doing, right? Mm. Stop putting some of those things in. And then so the just other on that is, as well, how much does caloric intake revolve in that? Because, I mean, you look in the bodybuilding scene now, people are saying, well, a calorie is a calorie. It doesn't matter where the food comes from. Like, that, don't worry about that. The only thing that matters in health are the calories and the macronutrients that you get in. So how much of that do you feel is, uh, is, is accurate and how, how true is that? And also how much of a role does caloric and macronutrient intake play? Good question. Here's a funny joke. One of the things that I tell you not to talk about on social media or in things is religion and politics. You know what the third one is? What? Nutrition. (laughs) Nutrition. Because everybody gets so polarized on that subject. They're so possessive on they have the diet program that's right. And then if you say I'm this or I'm that, you're a moron and they want to know where you learned it from. So every nutrition works for someone. Everything works for someone. It just depends on the context and what moment that you're in and how much you can tolerate. But I will tell you this much, a calorie is not a calorie. If you're looking from an energy standpoint, maybe, but it's also the caliber of the energy. It's the classic analogy of, do I want premium fuel or I want crap fuel? I'm going to burn it either way, but one is going to be a little bit cleaner. One's going to be a little bit dirtier. I'm going to get a little bit more mileage out of it uh, from my vehicle, but your fuel is, is food. So, and it's also just straightforward common sense. 500 calories from a Twinkie ain't the same as 500 calories from a thing of broccoli. I don't care what you tell me. And your cells are like, are you kidding me? You're giving me Twinkies to deal with here? So then it has to use that to get through something, right? So if you're looking from an energy standpoint, 
Okay. It, it's also how quick your body is going to consume that energy. I know for me, listen, when I was a bodybuilder going through it, last thing you ever want to do is skip a meal. Cause if you skip a meal, you're going to lose all your muscle and you're going to shrink right in front of the mirror. Right. So I'm eating seven, eight times a day. I'm eating 30 grams of protein. I'm eating even when I'm not hungry. I'm setting my alarm and I'm waking up at night to drink a shake. And so this is in my era where you would just slam it. You'd get heavy, you'd gain, and then you'd shred, right? But from that standpoint, you also have to, to remember that you're, usually people are consuming way more protein than their body needs, right? But here's the thing. You also, if you're putting the protein in, you got to be able to break the protein down, right? Mm. Most people struggle to break protein down because they're already too stressed. And when you're stressed, you slow down the digestion process because stress is part of your sympathetic nervous system, your fight or flight system. Mm. So the last thing your body wants to do is digest anything when it's trying to save your life. It's like, dude, you can do that later. Let's not die right now. So I'm going to shut down your digestion and it shuts down blood flow to the gut. And then when you do that, you shut down hydrochloric acid production. So you don't produce enough hydrochloric acid and hydrochloric acid breaks down protein. If you don't break down protein, all that stuff stays in your gut and you get rut, gut rot, fermentation, and then you actually leak proteins out into the system and then you get sick, right? So that's why stress also impacts these things. And I have a lot of athletes, they're under so much stress from competition and training and overtraining that. And they're some of the most inflamed individuals I've ever met, even though they look like fantastic and they perform fantastic, but they've got a great way to adapt and compensate and can go through misery and reset their pain point because that's what you do. But I get them on my table and I press on a spot and they're a mess, right? Mm. So inflammation can go anywhere on anyone, no matter how they look. But back to the food intake is that it's also when you restrict calories too much. That's also a stressor for someone. So unfortunately, I don't, when I work with people on nutrition, it's never the same for anyone. It's always individual. I usually have people, women typically under eat most of the time. And then the male population that I'm working with overeat on what they're doing. Or sometimes when I was into bodybuilding, I got so obsessive and compulsive about my eating that I was a neurotic. I used to weigh my chicken breast and weigh my food that I needed to have a certain amount of ratios. And that is also a stressor for you, right? So it's a big, it's a big pendulum there in relationship to it. And I'm, I'm all about basics and fundamentals because one reason that people don't do things is because there's so much information, they don't know what to do. And then when the, when you do give them a plan, you give them too much to do at one time. So they don't do it and they feel immobilized because they feel they're going to do it wrong. So I like to give them easy, basic fundamentals, what I call tiny little action steps of like, okay, these are your big dogs that you want to work with. And some of them are just as simple as they're like, most people don't drink enough water. They're severely dehydrated. They don't take any minerals whatsoever. And I'm like, and they don't sleep. I'm like, okay, if you're dehydrated and you're lacking in minerals and you don't sleep, there's not a damn thing I'm going to be able to do to you on my table. It's going to fix you. It ain't happening. Hmm. 
because you don't have the fundamentals that your body needs when you leave my office to heal and regenerate with what I'm trying to do. So drink the water, take the minerals. I usually tell people to take uh, usually fulvic and humic minerals called trace minerals. That's liquid dirt. That's the earth. Okay. And then if you do those, you'll probably end up helping yourself sleep anyway. So how much water is enough and how much minerals is enough? Well, here's the thing too. I mean, it's different for everybody. (laughs) Is it different based on weight or size or or, or no, not really, you know, because here's the thing too, man. I wish I could give you more specifics, but just because you're drinking water doesn't mean you're absorbing it either. I have a lot of people that drink a ton of water and they're dehydrated because their cells aren't taking it in. Why? Because they're so toxic in their body that the the body chooses to leave the water outside of the cells to dilute the container that's so toxic instead of putting more water into the cell. So it's a life-saving strategy to swell a container to protect you. And plus, you're going to struggle to absorb the water when you have a poorly functioning lymphatic system, which is 90% water. And when you're dehydrated, you usually have thickened blood because blood is mostly water and you have the problems there too. So that's where you need to have electrolytes as well and minerals as well. If you have those, you need less water. Like if you don't have enough electrolytes or enough minerals, I don't care how much water you drink, you're not going to be able to absorb it. It's just like food. Just because you eat healthy food, that doesn't mean anything. It's better than bad food. But taking it in doesn't mean you're going to be able to absorb it. That's two different things. So digestion happens from you you ingest something, you eat it. Then you have to digest something. That means break it down. Then you have to absorb it. After you absorb it, then you need to metabolize it. After you metabolize it, then you need to eliminate it. Mm. Everybody pays attention to the first step. That's going in here. You have to reverse engineer from the bottom up. And the I gave you one of the biggest ones already. Like if you don't have enough stomach acid, everything you stick in your mouth, you can't break down. So you're already going to stay sick hmm. and you can't break down the stuff that enters your mouth from bacteria and toxins and parasites and all these sorts of things. So then you're feeding your response. That's why decreasing stress finding ways to get into breathing or taking a, a, a rest or a break or some even taking hydrochloric acid pills or increasing your acid can help you more than anything because most people have too little stomach acid. Excuse me. Yeah, too little stomach acid as opposed to too much. So, okay. So I guess we're kind of going around here. So when it, when it comes to steps to alleviating a system, number one is being aware Number two is reducing the shit going in. And then number three is improving your water, minerals, sleep, and electrolytes. Then I'm assuming number four thereafter starts coming into into breath work and whatnot. Is that right? Breath work is big. Breath work is big. And then also starting to to help the detoxification process. So, you know, watching the shit going in, but helping the shit get out. (laughs) Totally. Right? Because a lot of people, because they're under so much stress, The sympathetic nervous system kicks in and the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the one that's supposed to relax you so you can poop, Hmm. you struggle and most people are constipated. So you're you're withholding poop and it's toxins are in there. 
And plus, if you're dehydrated, it's your struggle to do that as well. That's why I tell people just to start to do some basic um, lymphatic work to themselves that we teach in our courses. And one of the things that I tell people is very simple. Most of the lymphatic system resides in your abdomen and your gut. That's because 70, 70 to 80% of your immune system resides in your gut. So if you have an immune system problem, you have a gut problem. If you have a gut problem, you have an immune system problem. So that's why I pay a lot of attention to the abdomen in my work. So I tell people, one of the biggest things you can do is just start to do self-abdominal massages by hand uh, around your navel, like massaging around Mm -hmm. your navel from close to the rim to big circles around it, several inches out, centimeters out. And then also go straight in the midline, uh, massage and rub up underneath the left rib cage because underneath that left rib cage sits your spleen, your pancreas, and your stomach. Underneath the right rib cage is your liver. And then people must say massage how? Yes is the answer. I don't care. I want you to just know, rub it left, rub it right, rub it in circles, do the alphabet, draw numbers. I don't care. Just get in there and rub it around. Vibration balls work really well in there. If you get one of the vibration balls that you turn on and they have the different speeds, I really encourage people to do that. That's very helpful. And it's also um, more tolerable a lot of times than uh, finger pressure. I'm not a big fan of the uh, therapeutic guns that, you know, you pull the trigger yep. and they kind of go like a jackhammer. Why is that? They can be too uh, aggressive in my uh, experience in that region for the abdominal region that not so much that you're going to hurt yourself. Okay. And if you go really fast in there and you have a lot of inflammation, that's not going to feel good. But also it has a tendency to make people tighten up when you do that, because I mean, it's mimicking me punching you in the gut. So it, it's, it's this, that subconscious neuroceptive tension and tightness that's there. If you do that gun, I would recommend that you work up to that. So starting by hand and starting with the vibration ball and then starting on the lowest setting that you have and do, do the things in different positions, lie on your back, have your knees bent, your feet flat, then let your legs go straight, have one leg straight, one leg bent, let the legs fall to the left as the knees are bent, let them fall to the right as they're bent, lie on your left side, lie on your right side. And then you can eventually work up to maybe where you'll lie face down on something like, uh, you know, a, a softer foam roller, or um, sometimes you can lie on some of those uh, training balls that are filled with water that have a little bit of give to them. You can work up into that. And then you stand up and just kind of jump up and down on the balls of your feet so you can move the organs around a little bit after you massage them. That's going to be really helpful for a lot of people because. I call the space between the belly button and the bottom of the throat, no man's land because nobody ever looks there and, and pays attention to it for one reason. They usually don't feel any pain there. Hmm. So they look everywhere else, right? 
for, for where they have pain. But in my work, I'm going to tell you right now that I think that the reason they have pain everywhere else is because they've neglected no man's land for so long. And because that's prime real estate. I and mean, that's where all your precious cargo sits. I mean, organs are super duper important, man. You take those things out, you ain't living long. Right? Totally. You can live without an arm or a leg, but if I if I take out some of those things, mm, not so much. So they're much more of an area of your body that your brain and your nervous system will protect at all costs um, to, to do so. And in my viewpoint, they sacrificed in the arms and the legs and the back to do it. Mm. So one of the one of the biggest dysfunctions that we see when we coach people is breathing. Most people can't breathe for shit. Like it's it's horrible. It's this awful looking chest, stressed out, trapped <laughs> tight thing. You know what I'm talking about? It's yeah, it's horrible. I and I I live that way. Like, dude, I I was like 105 kilos at one stage when I was going hard in bodybuilding, and it was like it's it's an awful feeling being that big and jammed up and tight. So when you're looking for breath work and we're looking to alleviate a stressed out system, how do you start to breathe correctly? What are your tips or what, how, what is your guidance to get somebody breathing the correct way? That's a really great question. And that's actually a very brilliant observation too. Um, here's a few things that's really important from my perspective. You know, when you get in our world of health and fitness and training and medicine or all different types, and you come across breathing, you mistakenly think, believe that everybody else knows about breathing. Hmm. Most humans have no idea. Hmm. I have doctors that I go and I talk to and they don't know what I'm talking about. Right? Because you're in this circle and you're exposed to it all the time. But when you go out in the world, people don't know they should be breathing through the abdomen. Not just the front of the abdomen, but the sides and the back, like a balloon. Okay. It, it, it's all signs that need to expand. So, just, just like I said before, the awareness of teaching somebody that concept of, all right, I want you to breathe more from your abdomen um, than your chest. And sometimes that's just a matter of awareness and paying attention to it. And it's not easy, but your nervous system can relearn it with practice. Maybe going through the sides is way more difficult because people don't have sensory awareness of the lower sides of their rib cage. And plus you can't move the lower rib cage because the liver is stuck and the spleen stuck and the guts all inflamed. It's going to be really hard to breathe through the diaphragm because you didn't massage your abdomen first. So that's why I tell people you don't breathe until you massage your abdomen first. Then breathing becomes easier. Okay. It's going to be really hard to expand your abdomen when you got inflammation there because your nervous system is going to say, dude, I ain't going to let you do that because it's going to hurt. So you free it up first. And then like hardly anybody knows how to breathe through the lower part of the rib cage in the back. That's where the rib cage ends and ties into your lower back because it's so tight back there. They can't even feel they have that region. They don't even, it's off the grid. So the how grid. do we start that? Well, one is the breathing through the abdomen, and then people can struggle with that. But the number one way you can help them with that is to say, I want you to try to breathe more in. Don't try to unless you can't, but because you have an airway obstruction, maybe breathe in through your nose, not your mouth. As soon as you breathe in through your nose, you automatically increase the function and recruitment and movement of your diaphragm just from that single motion. 
Right? It's a diaphragm driver. And then I want you to try to exhale through your nose as well. If you struggle to exhale through your nose, then exhale through your mouth. But I'd prefer in and out through the nose. But mm. anytime you can, in and out through the nose. And I say, just make your exhales longer than your inhales when you're trying to decrease stress. Why is that? Because they found through research that when you have a slower exhale, first of all, it's eccentric for your diaphragm, which means that it helps strengthen the diaphragm through its relaxation phase, the eccentric phase of the diaphragm. So it really strengthens the diaphragm. Two, they've seen that it increases the parasympathetic nervous system output, which is the rest and digest. They call wine, dine, feed, breed, relaxation one, when you do the exhale. So I tell people, just try to have your exhale longer than your inhale and uh, just start there, right? And easy. And I have them focus on that. Because most people will find themselves through awareness drills that they're, holy cow, I'm breathing through my mouth again. Uh, my, I'm, I'm, every time I turn around, my mouth is open. Sometimes you may have to end up doing for a lot of people what helped me is taping your mouth shut at night because people open their mouth at night. It's a game changer. Going through their nose. That, one's, that one really saved my life, honestly, because... Uh, and there's many reasons why somebody might breathe through through their mouth. Some of it is um, structural, mechanical, stuff with the tongue, stuff with the throat, things like that. But when you do that, you're going to make a huge difference in your whole body. There's innumerable um, physiological reasons why. But it also ties back into having a better quality sleep. But I tell people this, if you mouth breathe at night, there's no way in hell you're going to be having a much of a chance to come back from the chronic inflammation that you got because you're no throwing way. off all your body chemistry and your blood chemistry. The, the biggest game changer for me was when I was researching and learned that carbon dioxide is actually incredibly important. We all think that if we want to yeah. get less stressed, take a deeper breath. But that's actually some of the, it could be the worst advice that you could get because you're just increasing oxygen there and your carbon dioxide is the same. The CO2 is the stuff which actually activates the parasympathetic nervous system after all. And it's the really, really weird thing that we've always focused on oxygen when it's not the key at all. Carbon dioxide is. I mean, I'm sure you probably looked into the studies have done where people are huffing carbon dioxide to activate the parasympathetic nervous system it's an absolute game changer turning off your mouth and instead of focusing on the inhale focusing on the exhale yeah that's really big i mean that's an eye-opener for a lot of people because everybody focuses on the oxygen side but again i'm going to cycle back to some of the stuff that we originally talked about you know just because you take in food doesn't mean that you're absorbing it just because you take in water doesn't mean that you're absorbing it just because you breathe in oxygen or you have a pulse ox that's 99, that doesn't mean squat either. It doesn't mean that you're absorbing the oxygen. You have available oxygen, oxygen. Let me put it that way. You have available oxygen, but can you offload it from the red blood cell, the hemoglobin? And carbon dioxide is what does that. But it's not just that. When you offload that sucker, 
what's it got to go across? It's got to go from the capillary into what they call the interstitial fluid. That's the fluid that surrounds all of your cells. And then it's got to get into the cell. Well, if you have an interstitial fluid that's full of excess proteins, it's full of toxicity, and you have inflammation, that's an environment that has a low oxygenated environment, and you're not going to be able to uptake the oxygen even when it's offloaded from the capillary. That's big. That's really big for people to understand. Okay. And that also goes back to the that's what we call stasis that where fluids become stagnant fluids don't move what fluids yes lymph blood arteries veins interstitial fluid it's actually what they call interstitial inflammatory stasis is the medical term for it interstitial fluid is the fluid in between the tissues of the body and the cells inflammatory speaks for itself Stasis means stagnant, lack of movement. The lack of the inflammation and the lack of the movement because of the excess toxins cause that interstitial inflammatory stasis, and that breeds sickness, that breeds disease. That's why it's not just the supply side. That's one piece of the puzzle. It will not work. If you don't have the other piece and what I'm trying to educate people and that this is really important for people to understand, it's the order that you do things matters and how successful you're going to be in your outcome of doing those things. What do you mean? Where, the, the, the order of what? Yeah. Order of anything. So it's what's called, I'll, I'll expand on that in a moment. It's what's called dynamical systems theory. Dynamical systems theory is what it's called. And basically that means this. What you did before what you just did determines what you get, right? That's interactions, how things interact. That, that's what the human body is. It's an interactive ecosystem, hmm. right? So what I mean by that is two things. I'll give you two examples. Let's talk, talk about the toxins and nutrition. But if I put the, if I have A and then A is ingesting in the nutrients, right? And then um, have my processes and then I've got B clearing it out, right? If, if B is blocked, A is not going to work so well. So A is beholden to what B does. So what I have to do is I have to do B first, then A. So mm -hmm. if I get the waste out first, then I concentrate on the supply side. You're always doing both at the same time, right? Then I concentrate on the supply side. I get a different result. So hmm. that's why people come to see me who are taking uh, $10,000 worth of supplements and have two bags filled to the brim, and they're no better than they were before. That's because they're not taking care of the waste side. They're overloading the system that can't handle it. So before we go and we try and optimize by changing like the supplements that we're taking or changing anything that we're putting in externally, the most important thing is to make it so that we're actually extra. We're number one, not putting in any more shit than what we have to. And number yeah. two, maximizing how much we're actually excreting and getting out of the body. Yeah. 
And then, so I'm not saying that you shouldn't take supplements and do stuff like that. The biggest thing that I, and I'm glad you added that clarification to it is maybe just back off on the amount that you're taking, right? It's, it's just, you're putting too much into a system that can't handle it. That's one of the biggest things that I see is that we, we have all these good things that we want to do because they're good, hmm. but too many good things at once will be an overload to the system. And it's, it's kind of. It's going to shut down. Good things in the wrong context are bad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's the same thing. Let me give you another example about how the body may react to something. So if I came in and I'm going to say you have a little bit of issue on your calf. If I came in and I rubbed your calf, I'm going to cause a response to your calf. And then I'm going to put some ice on your calf afterwards. Right. So the ice, how well the ice does and what the ice does depends on what I did to you first. Right. Mm. So I'm going to stimulate the calf and that's going to influence what the ice does. Right. Look what happens with the ice. It's A and B. Mm. Well, if I came in and I did ice first and then I rubbed your calf. It's a completely different physiological response and a reaction from you, even though they're the same damn things. They're not the same things at all. Hmm. They're the same two things, but your reaction is completely different hmm. because now your body has to react to what you did with the ice. And hmm. then my touch comes in. You understand? I so love that that's why. It's really, really critical that people might have the right things that they need to be doing. They're just doing one, too many of them, or two, mm. they got to switch them around. And you can't switch things around if you're doing a ton of them either. So you have to start in slow, especially if a nervous system has been overloaded for a long time and you're into what they call fight flight mode. You don't tolerate a lot of things well. You'll hit a threshold really fast, and then you'll usually hit a meltdown really quickly. And then that's when you have to back off and do a lot less and then experiment and play around with the order. Another classic example that I gave you is this. If people are trying to practice diaphragmatic breathing, breathing in through the nose, not so much from the mouth, to drive better breathing. If you massage your abdomen first and then breathe through the diaphragm, it will be a completely different experience for you as opposed to breathing and then massaging your abdomen. You follow? Totally. Hmm. So that's what I want people to do is just start to have the awareness to explore on their own, be a little bit curious of things and then say, hey, you know what? I I did this before this last time, even in training routines, we get so bogged down in specific training routines and people kind of get into the operative word is routine, uh, switch things up a little bit. And you're like, holy crap, I did the same two things, but I did them in a different order. And now I'm, I'm more sore today than I was the last time I did it, mm. even though they're the same things. They're not the same things at all, <laughs> even though they appear to be. Right. Completely different. Like, well, yeah. so if we, if we go and we circle back to where we we're at the start and like how we got onto this, cause we're looking at how you completely changed your life and switch yourself from a really, really dark place 
into where yeah. you're crushing it. So I just want to go through again and highlight the steps because we've been through. Yeah, eight. sorry, I kind of went off on some crazy. T- I get no, I get amazing. really excited sometimes, and my mouth just keeps going. So I'm sorry if I went on a little. Keep, bit. keep that mouth going, man. It's been brilliant. Because so what we, what we went over is first of all is the mentality. Is the first thing we're to do is if we want to pull ourselves out of any situation is mentality and awareness. Any sort of sickness, mental, physical, whatever, it's always the first thing is mentality and awareness. The next thing is to look at what does what do our cells need and what do we need in order for health, which then leads us down into looking at getting rid of the buildup of metabolic waste, particularly within the skin, lungs, colon, kidney and bladder and liver. So we've gone through gone through that. We've now also got a step-by-step system, which you, which you mapped out for uh, alleviating a stressed out system, which is reducing the shit going in, improving your water, your minerals, your sleep, and your electrolytes, focusing on your breath work, and then helping shit go out as well, like through abdominal massage and making sure that everything's going on. So after we've done all this, what would be our next step for optimizing our health and making it so that we're getting into yeah peak physical and mental performance? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, here's the thing about the body. The body is a, what they call a nonlinear system. And let me explain that and compare it to a linear system. These are terms from physics, but you can carry over into biology. Linear is kind of Newtonian in a way. Linear means like, okay, if I, a, if I do something to A, then I'm going to get the output in B. So hmm. straight line, right? A input equals B input. Then it appears logical. Right. And, and that's what we try to do in medicine. Well, I got news for you. The, the body is is logical, but in its own way, not according to our logic. The body doesn't work like that. A doesn't equal B. It's nonlinear, which means A can equal whatever the hell it wants to equal. It can it can equal Z or it can equal the number five. It can do whatever it wants. And it also means this. A small input in linear equals a small output in linear. Mm. A small input in nonlinear can be a tsunami on the output side, Mm. but it can also work the other way. A tsunami input can give you nothing on the other side, which happens a lot. That means this, that if you establish, they're called basics and fundamentals for a reason right? Wax on, wax off, sand the floor, paint the fence. Like if you want to do a spin kick, you got to make sure you can do a good front kick because everything else is built upon that. How well you do everything else depends on how well you do the basics and the fundamentals. And most people don't, first of all, they don't know what the basics and the fundamentals are, or they don't do them or they neglect them or they skip them because they say they're boring. Well, Mm. every great master is the one that always tells you go back and master the basics because it'll make you a monster. And the basics that I gave you before of um, making yourself, make sure you're hydrated. One of the biggest ways you can do that is to add some of the electrolytes to the stuff that you're having because most people are really off on their salts. Yeah. Or, Or two, if you have your liquid fulvic and humic minerals, which are my favorite ones to do. I'm not a big fan of individual giving individual minerals. But uh, if you take those, those will also help you absorb water. So how do you and, spell fulvic minerals? I never looked into that. Uh, I'm sorry. Pardon me. I, I should have spelled that. It's F-U-L. Yep. V, v as in Victor, I-C. Beautiful. Fulvic slash humic, H-U-M-I-C. You want to make sure you have both. Very cool. 
Yeah. So those are really, really uh, great to do. Uh, so if, if you do those two things, that will actually help you with your sleep. Okay. That it'll help you with your, because fulvic and human minerals also are binders and detoxifiers. And then you'll actually, when you do those two things and then you massage your abdomen and then you get your breathing down, I just gave you the, the DNA for making whatever you want, hmm. which means that if you start there, that is a nonlinear catalyst for everything else that you want to do uh, from that point, right? Because I want people to get into movements and programs and stuff that they enjoy doing. And a lot of times people stop doing things because they, they stop enjoying them or they hit a plateau and then they get frustrated. And it ties back to the physiology again. If you're riddled with inflammation and toxins, right, you're going to hit the wall faster and you're going to fatigue faster. And you're not, you're not going to want to do it because you get miserable because when you exercise and you train, those are great things, but exercise also is a process of breaking down tissue. Yeah. On purpose. But, and that's good. You break stuff down. So here's the operative word. You can heal and regenerate and make new cells so you can become a monster and grow bigger and stronger and be more resilient, right? Mm. That's why after a year, I'm like, holy crap, I look so much better, right? So you're actually breaking down tissue in a catabolic state so you can become anabolic, which means repair and regenerate. But let me ask you a question. What happens if you're already toxic? Then you're going to exercise and you're going to make more waste on top of waste. Mm. And you're probably going to feel okay for a little while because you're going to flush some of them out, but you have a plumbing system that you're crapping faster than you can flush. And then you're going to start to feel terrible. And then your nervous system is going to do a really easy thing to save your life. It's going to do two things. One's probably going to make you quit because it's trying to protect you. So you're not quitting because you're weak-willed and you don't have the strength. It's because you got inflammation and you got waste. That's and your really body's trying to your body's trying to protect you. It's not stupid. Hmm. And the other thing is if you keep pushing it, it might make you sicker to take you down or three, it might make you fatter. So how does the body Okay, so that you said that I really love that you said that. I went through the same thing. So when I was bodybuilding, I was pretty good, right? Um back in the day. Like I was doing okay. And I remember the thing like I, I was natural, I was 20 years of age and I was competing against some of the best guys in the world in IFBB in 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 yeah. physique. Uh, and you know, a couple of them may or may have used an anabolic steroid or two in that time. And so yeah, I was just working a couple. just a couple. And I was working extra hard, right? Like really, and that was my whole thing. And I still remember the day where bodybuilding stopped being fun and where I actually started becoming a little bitch, in my words. And I stopped training as hard and didn't get the results. Cause what what happened was is actually I got totally exhausted, depression, anxiety, like gut issues, the whole lot smacked me for six. And then that was pretty much when I stopped doing it. So I went from like top 10 in the world to like nothing. And, um, and, and I still remember that. So how is it that the nervous system changes our willpower? Because I still remember it. I didn't have the will to train as hard as what I used to. I didn't have the going me to diet as hard as what I did before. I didn't have the, the, the drive. How does inflammation and how does damage change that within us? 
That's a great question. And I'm going to preface it to say that this is how I look at things based on what I've been able to uh, learn from uh, pain science and, and neuroscience and studying, you know, human behavior and what our systems are primed to do, which is this. I'll try my best to answer that question. So your brain is the master driver of everything, right? Okay. Mm. And it's really intimately tied to all the systems, but specifically your immune system. They actually call it the neuroimmune system, neuroimmune response. And so that means that when you get into a fight or flight, that you can kick off your immune system and that'll release what they call cytokines into a system and that will break you down. You can also have it the other way where you get an infection or a virus. It could be any virus, not just a vid one. And then um, that can feed cytokines that go into the system and then you can break down the the brain that way because they travel up into the brain through the vagus nerve and uh, then you can get it that way, right? But the brain has one job and it's not happiness. (laughs) Its job is survival. Let's not die today because that would be a good day. And I'm going to do whatever I have to do, whether it makes sense to you or not, to keep you alive. And then if I'm able to keep you alive, I'm going to try my best to keep pain to the the minimum that I can. I, I can't guarantee it. But listen, if it hurts now, give me some street cred, because trust me, I can make your life freaking horrible and you you can't even contemplate it. So you should thank me for the pain you got because I can be way harder on you. And the third one is I'm going to try to expend the least amount of energy doing it because I need to conserve the energy we have. I only have a certain budget for it and I need to determine where I'm going to send it first Hmm. and where it sends it first is the organ that needs it the most, which is your brain. It takes 20% of the available energy in your body. And interestingly enough, your kidneys take 20% too. Um, and your gut takes another one. Those are the big three blood supply chains, uh, energy supply chains and blood supply chains in the body. So now that we know that it's a survival factor, right? It's going to do whatever it has to do to ensure survival. And often that means this, uh, I'm going to make you quit something that's really going to hurt us in the long run. It's going to make you worse. It's going to give you more inflammation. And I know it sucks to make you quit, but trust me, if I didn't make you quit your your bodybuilding or whatever, uh, you would hate me even more later. Mm. So it's doing the smart play. The brain has to think in the moment it's in, right? It's not thinking about what just happened or what happens next. It's got to deal with right now. And we, we always think that it's a stupid decision or it's, you know, it, um, we start to blame it. We have resentment. Why are you doing this to me? It's the right move. It's the wrong move. You have to understand this. The brain doesn't think in terms of right and wrong. That's man-made shit because right to you is wrong to me. Wrong to me is right to you. It's contextual. It's, it's relevant to your culture. The brain only does one thing, what's useful. It's only concerned with utility. And it'll make 
a decision in the moment that it's in to keep you surviving. And then then you say to yourself, well, why would it choose pain? Well, pain's a really good way to keep you surviving and from doing stupid shit, right? And then also it it'll it'll choose an option that might involve a lot of suffering for you in that moment. But in the moment, it's what you needed, hmm. right? It's it's what it needed to do. Here's where it gets tricky. Sometimes the brain gets caught in that loop because the brain will always go back to things that it used before because it worked before. So it loops a play, a neuroplastic play. So it'll go back to, quote unquote, your dysfunction. They're not dysfunctional patterns. They're highly functional patterns. They've only, so you got to change your words. It's, it's just something that the brain goes back to use. It may, no longer, it may no longer be the most useful thing to you, sometimes because it doesn't know it has another option, right? Mm. And that's where the awareness part comes into play, because it's always going to hit the default switch of doing habits and behaviors. Habits and behaviors aren't awareness. That's where they're habits and behaviors. You follow? That's the mindfulness part. This is really important why I like to talk about this, because when I have people in chronic pain that have been suffering for a long time, I have to help them understand and not uh, have resentment towards them. Because if you resent your body, that never works out well. Hmm. You have to re-mean. I don't use the word reframe anymore. I use re-mean what these things mean and, and why your body is doing what it's doing. And one of the Biggest re-meanings that you need to understand is that everything is done for your body to protect you the best it can and the moment it's in with what it's got, right? Because I think it was Jordan Peters said, you're going to, I mean, you can make a decision that's the right one and you're going to suffer. You can make it the one that's the wrong one. You're going to suffer. You're going to suffer either way is the point, right? Mm -hmm. But there's always another degree of suffering that can be way worse than where you're at. And we when you when you grasp that, is... that, that's a big thing because people get, you get in this quicksand when you're like that for a long time. And you have, um, instead of resentment, it's hard to hear for a lot of people when you're suffering. I know, man, I've been there. You need to have an appreciation for it. And that's why I tell everybody, that time when I got to a point I wanted to kill myself and I was so sick that I was lost. I have such gratitude for that now because um, I, it put me in a direction that I never would have gone to before. And I learned to appreciate things like I've never done before. And I wouldn't be where I am right now and helping the people that I'm helping right now or being at a place in my life that I needed to be without going through that. And I tell people that sometimes maybe you're going through what you're going through, not for some lesson for you, but maybe you're supposed to go through it because when you come out of the other side, maybe you're supposed to be there for somebody else to help them, not yourself. Totally believe that. We, we have an expression that we always use, which is nothing happens to you. It happens for you. Everything is for you. We're always better every single day in every single way. 
I love that. I mean, that's absolutely beautiful. That I've started to really investigate the power of words and language, of how that changes your physiology and your neurology and, and your body. And I had a, a mentor of mine who's been very influential for me, and he's been on my podcast several times, and he's a neuroscientist. His name is Bo Lotto, L-O-T-T-O. And he's got one of my favorite books that I always recommend, and I highly, highly recommend that you purchase it. And it's called Deviate, D-E-V-I-A-T-E, Deviate. And Deviate is just another way to say different, right? He, he said something that, that really hit me, and he said, you can't change what happened, but you can change the meaning of what happened. Mm. And I'm like, you know how maybe you've heard something before, but when somebody says it at a certain time and maybe you're ready to hear it or it's how they said it, that is the way you needed to hear it, that it hit you. That was the one that did it for me because you can choose to give meaning to anything. It can be whatever you want it to be because that's the point. Right. And he said something else that the meaning comes from some based on the meaning is based on how you respond to it. Mm. I'm like, holy crap, hold on. Let me step back. That's like a matrix moment. I had to think about that one for a second. Right. Most people respond to something because they tag a meaning to it. Right. It's like it's the other way around. It's the most beautiful thing, isn't it? That we can create any meaning that we want to any situation. Yeah. You can. I mean, I always thought about it this way. He even said something too, like you have sensory information coming into you. All your cells are data information gathering things. They just take in information. And information can mean anything. It's inherently meaningless until you give it the story that you want to give it. That's why you and I could be in the same exact situation. I use this example all the time. We're watching a comedian on stage. The guy says the exact, he says this thing. And then I look over at you and you're livid upset. And me, I'm hysterical laughing. What's the difference? The meaning that you're giving, what was, what just happened? What just happened was the same thing for you and me, or was it right? It's the context and you're bringing your own story to the meaning of that. And that's the same thing with pain. That's why pain is 100% subjective and not objective. It can mean anything to anyone. Mm. And any stimulus that comes into your body only has meaning that you give it, right? There was a really cool video floating around on YouTube, and I think Joe Rogan may have even put it up just on Instagram of they had this one guy reaching. He had his eyes closed. He was trying to get over a phobia or something. He's reaching into this glass thing, and they're telling him touching some furry thing. Like, I forgot. I didn't even listen to the audio. must have been like a spider or something. And the guy is freaking, freaking out. And all it was was a stuffed little puppy animal that's not even alive. That's that's what I'm talking about. It mm-hmm. could literally have meant anything. The, that's the reframe right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So his whole nervous system reacted to a perception of something. And when you understand that, guess who now is in complete control? You are. But here's the caveat. That scares the shit out of people. 
It does, doesn't it? I've never been, I've never seen such a, a weird stage of like, I mean, I'm, I'm not that old, but throughout this whole time, I've never seen so many people want to avoid responsibility for themselves. You look at the woke movement, all that cancel culture and all that bullshit. Um, I'm sure there's some which is valid in there, but if you look at most of it, it's just people who are running away scared. I've never seen people who who want the government to own their lives so much and just totally avoid responsibility. It's quite an interesting thing and very eye-opening for me because I think, fuck me, I do not want that. I'll do anything. I'll take any pain, but I do not want to be like those poor, miserable people because having that perspective would be absolutely, totally depressing and destroying. Yeah, but it sort of ties back into what we talked about before, certainty. Hmm. Because if somebody else is controlling it, you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Mm. Right. This has been fantastic. Thank you very much for, for coming on, Perry. And then before we wrap up, I'd love, I know there's going to be a lot of people who want to learn more about you and what you do and where they can reach mm. out to you. What's going to be the best way for some of our guys to go and connect with you? Thank you very much. First of all, I really, really enjoyed it. And you asked some awesome questions. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Um, yeah. Easiest way to find is really simple. If you type in stop chasing pain, stop chasing pain, uh, I'm going to show up somewhere. <laughs> I've been doing this a long time. So that'll bring you to my main website. And then that's the central hub to take you out to everything that we have available, which is a lot of stuff. <laughs> you just explore. I probably say the the platform that I spend the most time on that actually brings me the most joy is Instagram. So I'm on there now, which Honestly, it might be an unhealthy amount, but I really have a good time there interacting with everybody and sharing stuff on that platform. So you can follow us there. And we also have our own podcast. I've had my podcast for 11 years. I was one of the first ones out, you know, old school. And uh, you can go check us out there. But yeah, go to the uh, website, follow us, reach out to us. Uh, we'd love to have you there. Beautiful. Thank you very much. So appreciate it. You're welcome. Till next time. I hope you enjoyed the video. If you got something out of it and you want to learn more, click the link below or type in High Performance Conversations with James Can, and you'll be able to check out all the podcasts that we've done. We cover a stack of different topics, everything from getting your mojo back, overcoming anxiety, self-doubt, self-esteem, and learning from some of the industries and some of the world's top performers in both business and in health. Look forward to having you on there.